This is Crosscut Reports. I'm Sarah Bernard. Today, we look at a new normal in policing, the use of bicycles as a form of crowd control. Seattle was an early adopter of these tactics, but they've since spread across the country. Now, this kind of bike policing seems to be here to stay, but there are questions about its use. For a joint project with Crosscut and Type Investigations, freelance investigative reporters James Stout and Jordan Gospore examined this history, as well as dozens of use-of-force complaints involving Seattle police officers and their bicycles filed during the social justice protests of 2020. There is recognition of the problem. The latest report from Seattle's Office of Inspector General on the Seattle Police Department's response to the 2020 protests has called for an overall apology and a reevaluation of bike policing tactics. But so far, these are just recommendations. Okay. I'm recording. Same. Cool. All right. <laughs> Woohoo! All right, we did it. Now that I have you all here, I wondered if you guys could go ahead and each introduce yourselves, your names, your titles, or how you would want to be identified for the purposes of this reporting. I'm James Stout. I'm a a reporter at iHeartRadio at the moment. And uh, when we started this, I was a freelance journalist. I have ridden bikes a lot. I used to be a bike racer. Uh, That was my job. And uh, I've written a lot for the outdoor media. So I'm kind of very interested in bikes and uh, I write a lot about the police. So also interested in the police, I guess. Yeah. And I'm uh, Jordan Gospore. I'm based out of Queens, New York, and I'm an independent journalist. Um, I'm podcaster, do investigative reporting. And uh, believe it or not, I do not know how to ride a bike. Oh, wow. Yes. I, I did not learn as a child and I have not learned since. <laughs> we can find you someone to train you now. You know, now I'm terrified uh, to ride a bike for many reasons, but also as an only child situation, too. I've never broken a bone either. That's where I'm coming from. Mm-hmm. I have broken a lot of bones riding bikes. So. See? Now it's, you scare me. Why would I want to learn now? Yeah, yeah, I'll yeah, just yeah. walk. <laughs> yeah, you know. Yeah, I have an unenviable record. So Jordan and James, so you've both gone very deep on some complex issues surrounding bike policing. Um, your reporting that you've done has national implications, of course, but you're not based in the Seattle area or in Washington state. So I was curious... Why Seattle? What got you interested in Seattle bike police specifically? Yeah, I think it started because like both of us, like everybody else, right, covered and uh, many of us attended protests for racial justice in, in 2020. Here comes the flashbang. Starting in the end of May, like, like what, three, almost exactly three years ago now. And... I think most people across the country will have encountered like a wall of cops with bikes coming towards them, shouting at them. Uh, and, and it's something that like as someone who loves cycling and is very committed to cycling being for everyone, like I've helped organize cycling programs on reservations and in different places. And um, it was quite upsetting to see bikes used that way. And so I started looking into bike policing Jordan and I started working together, kind of investigating the story, and we came across this company called Tiger Mountain Tactical, which is run by a Seattle police officer, a 30-year veteran, I think, of the Seattle Police Department, called uh, Jim Diamond. And they are one of the 
bigger companies to offer training to police in the use of bicycles. And uh, we haven't been able to speak to him. We've, we have tried, but we've, we haven't succeeded. Diamond in particular has this expertise that he that he claims to have gained sort of starting at the, the battle in Seattle, so the, the World Trade Organization in 1999. And, and going on from there, he's trained bike cops all over the country, all over the world. And so when looking at bike police, Seattle seems to be where it began and it seems to be where the kind of concentration of expertise is still. And then there was this other case which actually happened We'd already begun reporting the story, I think, when uh, uh, Eric Walter, who's another Seattle bike cop, ran over a protester's head with his bike in, I believe that was September of 2020. The video is hard to watch. Last Wednesday night, a Seattle police officer is caught on camera walking alongside his bike. Look closely and you'll see that officer drag that bike over a protester's head. People who go on the internet a lot will probably remember the video. It it was definitely pretty upsetting. so we made a Public Records Act request for those, uh, for the use of force report, for the internal investigation, etc. And and then waited for like months, if not a year, for that to come back. I think it was close to a year for that. And Seattle is not unique in doing this, but it, it certainly has done it a lot. Uh, a lot of agencies will cite COVID-19, be like, oh, we can't go and inspect the records because we can't be in a congregate setting. Like, And this sort of citing COVID for delays went on but in, well into 2021, if not into 2022. And that's what sort of, I mean, took the three years was Seattle and other police departments not being friendly towards public records requests. Yeah, definitely. Because we certainly started pursuing this in 2020. No, and I, and I do want to flag that um, James and I have not met yet in person and how we both uh, got together on this investigation was, I believe, James, you put out a call out on one of the email listservs for journalists and I responded to it. Uh, I'm a big fan of the follow the money stories and um, that's what really piqued my interest outside of necessarily like bikes. It was more like a, a, you know, using this as an example of organizations that kind of get into a lot of this mess. And the the contracts with the police department. A local bicycle shop is walking away from a $314,000 contract with Austin police. There are a large number of calls for bike companies to stop selling bikes to police in 2020. This isn't what folks think about bikes being for. And lots of people in the cycling communities had called for this to stop. Shop employees didn't like that the bikes were being used as a crowd management tool. One of those brands was Trek. and, And they responded in a very what I would categorize a strange way um, and sort of made some claims about their sales to police and which then led to Jordan and I filing public records requests and literally looking at pictures of protests all over Twitter and, and Facebook and uh, all that other stuff, seeing, okay, here are some cops with Trek bikes. Well, they're in Miami or wherever. Let's file a public records act request and see the contract for those bikes. So, we did that in a number of cases all around the US and that kind of pointed to a, a bigger thing than, than just like one one cop in one city, right? That gave it a kind of national scale. There's a lot of money at stake. I wonder if if you had to kind of explain to somebody who, let's say, wasn't watching those videos back in 2020, didn't know a lot about 
what you mean when you're talking about bicycle crowd control. Like, what are we talking about when we're talking about these tactics? Jason Wilson did a pretty good article in 2016 for The Guardian called The New Horseman, where he talked about like how bike cops have become the new horse cops. So they kind of have taken that role of like corralling people, of making people move away from a certain area or move into a certain area, kettling people. And I spoke to a former police officer who now owns a bike company, co-owns a bike company, I should say. And he explained to me that like instead of doing a shield wall, um, which people are probably familiar with, right? The plexiglass shield that the cops used to do, uh, the one in the Banksy picture. Um, instead of that, like they, these cops will hold their bikes in front of them and that allows them to occupy more horizontal space. And then they'll classically, like what I've seen is they'll hold the bike by the fork and by the seat tube. So that, that's the bit that attaches to the front wheel and the bit that the saddle goes into. And they will move forward and they'll shout, move back and they'll lift the bike up, slam it on the ground and, you don't want to be in the way of the bike at that point, right? Because you've got a chain ring that's then coming towards you, which is the spiky part where the chain goes. Um, so they'll use those to kind of corral people. And perhaps, Jordan, you could uh, we could talk about some of the other tactics that, that we read about that they use. Yeah. Um, one of the things that freaked me out the most, James, though, was like just be, the thinking about since, you know, I said I don't ride bikes and I'm not around bicycles, obviously, as much as you, James. But one of the things for me is thinking through and reading through some of Jim Diamond's training manuals and on his site is, I mean, just the very simple, pure, simple way of using your bike to hit people and to just use that as a weapon, like pure and simple, that like for for a bicycle just to be thought of as something that you could use to get people to move out of the way and to hit them. Yeah, another thing they like to do is um, they'll sort of do a bike wall and then have a number of cops behind the bike wall, open up the bike wall, those cops sort of advance forward, get hold of someone they're looking to arrest, drag them back, close the bike wall, and then that sort of allows them to stop people from de-arresting that person right like, like jordan said by using the bikes as a, a blunt or sometimes a sharp implement to strike people with uh, and we saw a lot of that in 2020 we saw a lot of bikes being pushed into people people being uh like bloodied and bruised and breaking bones and such with police use of bikes because they also use them as a way to like seemingly like add impact to that there are a couple of videos of cops like riding on at full speed and like jumping off and grabbing someone if they're like pursuing someone, I guess. So those are the tactics that we saw. And I should note that like when the police talk about police bikes, this is not what they talk about, right? They talk about accessible policing, about moving through communities, about uh, how they can be more contactable, about the health of officers, right? Because... Uh, sitting on your backside in a car all day is very good for you. They talked about, too, the the face that in a police car, often you can't see the face of a police officer. And that in a community that when you're on a bicycle, the police seem to talk about this idea of, well, you know, the community members can see who I am and I can talk to them more easily and be able to, to have that, that face to me being a police officer. And I thought that was interesting and For instance, I'll just pop in real quick as narrator for a second and read an email that the Seattle Police Department's Public Affairs Office sent to Jordan and James. They wrote that the city's bike police are, quote, very effective at street-level proactive work and also allow for a greater public relations role. 
The bike officer is both the highly motivated crime fighter and yet also the department's best community police officer. It is a very unique and special relationship the bike officer has with the people on the street. So in some ways, I mean, what I'm hearing and what I I feel like I'm understanding from some of your reporting is that perhaps the contrast between what bicycles could be used for or have been presented as being used for in police departments compared to what they are also being used for in crowd control situations um, is pretty stark. Yeah, like I think... I, even the thing about seeing their faces that Jordan mentioned, uh, like you can't see their faces when they're wearing their, a lot of them wear this one model of Bell helmet, which covers the whole of your face. Uh, they'll wear Fox body armor, right? That they look like Robocop. Uh, like These aren't people who are, who appear very approachable at all, especially when they're swinging a bike at you. So, um, and we saw that a lot. If people want to look at like the 2016 RNC Republican National Convention, so a lot of bike police there. Uh, at least Tiger Mountain Tactical, so Jim Diamond's company, has made claims to have trained them. Again, we we haven't been able to speak to them despite our best efforts. Um, but they they claim to have trained and even been on the ground there consulting. So like that's kind of the, I guess the modern face of bike policing is this kind of uh, peddling Robocop character. Hmm. So there there are. Lots and lots and lots of videos, of course, of what was happening during the 2020 protests. And um, there are many instances documented in Seattle, for example, that you report um, the Seattle Office of Police Accountability's findings um, report on the protests that summer mentions bikes or bicycles 60 times and recounts dozens of incidents of police violence using bikes. Did you guys dig into that report specifically um, for your reporting is there anything that sticks out to you from that report if you, if so so the report came out relatively late in the process of us doing our reporting but was very helpful in sort of structuring our narrative and and sort of getting a, a zoomed out picture and one thing that struck me was that a lot of the times that bicycles are used as a physical force compliance technique right like using it as pain compliance that's not a reportable use of force according to the way that the uh, the police were doing things in 2020. So, like, if, if I mace you or hit you with my nightstick, then that's a reportable use of force. You know, but I could use a similar force, it seems, with a bicycle and not have to report that, um, which, A, leaves us with an unclear picture of how much bikes were used as a means of paying compliance in 2020 and previously. And, uh, B, I, I just thought it was very odd. Yeah, no, I agree. That, that struck me, too. And also, just real quick, so I understand... Um, what, what does that even mean, a reportable use of force? I think if a member of the public complains, that will be documented and recorded. And I think that's a lot of what we see along with the, the footage. But to my understanding, uh, cops do a lot of paperwork. And part of the paperwork they do is is if you if, like, if you discharge your weapon, if you unholster your weapon, if you mace someone, if you get your truncheon out, uh, you have to write a little, little uh, pricey of why you did that. But if you clock someone with your bike, you don't apparently. And James, one thing that really did uh, freak me out because I don't come from the bike world is just how expensive these bikes are. Where's that money coming from? Why are we using this money in this way? Yeah, this, this is not a cheap proposition, right? Like if you're looking at a $2,500 bike and that's before you get your helmet, your shoes, your body armor, uh, you, you know, whatever other accoutrements you want. 
for, like, that's a serious expense that taxpayers are paying for, right? They, if you want to look at numbers, I just pulled up a contract here from in 2013, 2013 through 2018, bicycles and parts for the city of Chicago with Trek, and it's $990,575. So it's not, it's not chump change. I don't know how many bicycles and parts. It doesn't seem to be here, but uh, it's a lot of money. Yeah, and, and speaking of investment, I was curious. I'm not sure if you got to the bottom of this in your reporting, but do we have a sense of the level of investment in in bicycles, in police departments across the country, in Seattle and across the country? It sounds like Seattle is kind of pretty committed to it. Do we have a sense of, is this something that a lot of police departments do? Is this something that police departments are increasing their investment in? Do we know? Is that something that you were able to figure out? Or Yeah. So the bigger cities that I, we initially looked into, I mean, talking about from Texas, Austin, New York City, L.A., like the major cities, they do have bike cops. And from what I found, it doesn't seem like they have necessarily increased those. But what I did found in terms of increases is smaller towns around the country seem to, after 2020, have started their own bike units. That there were a bunch of different articles and a bunch of different things that after 2020, I was finding all these like little, especially on the East Coast, these little towns being like, oh, in 2021, like our our town just started its first bike cop unit. Savannah police now have a new tool at their disposal to help fight crime. Yeah, as our Dave Williams reports, the new bike unit will allow them to go places they've never gone before. Well, one thing I do want to flag, too, is that during our, the course of our investigation, there were a couple of police departments I reached out to had either email or phone conversations or both about trying to gauge how many members were a part of their bike cop units and over a period of time. And I was told more than once about they do not disclose that information, including Seattle hmm. had said in an email how they did not they would not disclose. They do not disclose the number of officers on their their bike unit. Hmm. So there's that. I don't know why that there is not a disclosure. There's an independent committee that reviewed the Seattle Police Department's response to the protests in 2020. The Seattle Police Department should offer a, quote, sincere public apology for how it treated demonstrators in the city after the killing of George Floyd in Minneapolis. That's according to a conclusion from a panel of officers, citizens, and accountability experts. And it, in fact, it called for an apology from the department overall and specifically called out bicycle policing and bicycle tactics. So... That is interesting because it does acknowledge, you know, acknowledge what you guys have found, acknowledge what you've pulled out and said, like, hey, this is something that was not a reportable use of force. And this is something that has been documented as problematic in video and in these many complaints. So there's this acknowledgement that this should be reevaluated what do you think might happen next? Like, what do you think that this, I guess, recommendation really means? I think they suggested in the report, they suggested that, uh, like the, that the use of force guidelines were changed and that there was a kind of a clearer, a clearer concept of what the bikes were doing, how that'd be reported and how, how like that, that sort of would be accounted for in terms of police accountability. But I haven't seen much in terms of like distinct changes in policy with regard to bikes. 
I think what could be possible is to be able to include in the use of force reports related instances of violence with with bikes. I think that could be considered a low-hanging fruit that departments can incorporate, but uh, we'll see. Thanks for listening to Crosscut Reports. This episode was reported by James Stout and Jordan Gospore and produced by me, Sarah Bernard. Our story editor and executive producer is Mark Baumgarten. You can subscribe to Crosscut Reports wherever you listen. And whatever platform you're listening on, please review us. We'd love to know what you think of the show. Also, if you'd like to support the work we do at Crosscut, whether it's our lineup of podcasts, the video docu-series we stream every week, or the in-depth reporting we deliver every day, go to crosscut.com slash membership. In addition to supporting our journalism, members receive complete access to the on-demand programming of Seattle's PBS station, KCTS 9. For the latest political, environmental, and culture news from the Pacific Northwest, visit crosscut.com. That's also where you'll find a text version of the story we discussed today. And it goes into a lot more detail than we had time to hear. Crosscut Reports is a product of Cascade Public Media. I'm Sarah Bernard. We'll be back soon with another episode.